Welcome to Critical Thinking, Critical Issues. I'm Rupert Watson. Today I'm joined by my colleagues Deb Clark, our Global Research Chair, and Sarah Kugol, who works in our Manager Research Team with a focus on responsible investment. The focus on diversity, equity and inclusion has been gaining traction for several years and is an area we're seeing increased levels of interest from our clients on how they can capture and implement this in their investment portfolios. Sarika, perhaps you could start by telling us what you do at Mercer and how you're involved in our D, E and I activities. Sure. Thanks, Rupert. Uh, I am part of the manager research team in the investments business and lead on sustainability and manager research, uh, pretty much covering investment ideas across um, sustainable development themes, climate transition and other stewardship investment strategies, both across active and passive asset classes. I also lead on ESG integration in manager research. Um, within Mercer's DEI initiatives, I've been co-leading the Vine Network for over five years, and this is the um, UK's uh, Women at Mercer Business Resource Group that uh, promotes gender equality. Perfect. Um, now, DEI has moved rapidly up the agenda in recent years, and now is seen as one of the great challenges for both the corporate sector but society at large. And um, what are the sort of key key reasons behind that? Do you think? Sure. Well. Um, in a nutshell, representation matters, uh, and we want our businesses to reflect the community in which we live and work in. Um, and this includes people with different backgrounds, educations, experiences, race, ethnicity, gender, you know, you name it. Um, there are a number of studies that have shown that well-managed, diverse, and inclusive workplaces uh, do make for better businesses. Um, the investment case for diversity can be seen across financial performance, talent retention, better reputation, and increased innovation. Um, but this is not the case in practice, and the degree of inequality only gets worse at higher levels of management, right up to the C-suite and board levels. Now, recent events have put diversity at the top of the agenda, specifically as you look at the negative impact that COVID has, ha has had on women and people of color. Uh, and, and this has been stark, especially outside the asset management or financial services industry. Um, and then, of course, tragic events such as the Black Lives Matter uh, and the most recent attacks on the Asian community, community in the U.S. have further highlighted the significant inequality and has put DEI at the top of the agenda for corporations. Deb, can I break it? Do you want to add anything to that? Yes, I think it's an interesting perspective around women in the workplace. So I agree with Sarika that, in fact, you know, for many, it will have resulted in perhaps less women in the workplace. But actually, from an asset manager perspective, I really hope that COVID has perhaps broken one of those comments that I used to hear regularly that, well, we can't do this job working from home. We certainly can do our job working from home, and we've proven that over the last 12 months. So let's hope that actually one side effect of COVID is actually that women in asset management and financial services are able to continue to work from home and have flexibility. If I can, if I can just add to that, I'd say, you know, a couple of years ago, just some of the work that we've been doing on the Vine, you know, a few years ago, we talked about flexible working as a key issue. And it's quite interesting just how times have changed in the last couple of years because flexible working was there are a number of challenges around what was and was not uh, possible. And of course, you look at it today and everything is possible. And this was especially the case for women who highlighted, you know, issues around being able to work flexibly. Now, Deb, you're global head of investment research. 
Uh, and that means, among other things, you're responsible for overseeing our manager research rating process around the world. Uh, what does this involve uh, and how has this have changed in recent years? Yes, Rupert. So we have two ratings. The first is our investment rating, which considers um, the probability of a strategy outperforming its benchmark over time. And then we have the ESG rating, which is how well the ESG factors are incorporated into the process. So our investment rating covers four factors, idea generation, portfolio construction, implementation, and business management. And we have always, always considered cognitive diversity as an important part of that. And by that, we mean how people think differently, um, how they bring their different backgrounds, whether it comes from education, socioeconomic background or gender, how they bring those different perspectives together to solve more co complex problems and thereby deliver better outcomes for our clients. So that's really been embracing all that we do forever in terms of our um, investment ratings. What we're now doing is looking to collect more data on ethnic diversity um, and assess really whether or not the company's policies, the asset managers' policies that they talk about, are really being implemented at the strategy level. So we want the teams that are managing our clients' assets to bring those different perspectives to, to, and to, to very much look, those teams to look like their local populations. Um, perhaps, Sarah, have we, we had some examples of clients asking us about this type of um, specific work? Absolutely. We've seen a lot more client discussions taking place around diversity. I mean, everything from what do we do internally? How are we driving um, diversity and inclusion to how are we looking at this in investments? Now, gender equality is one of the 17 sustainable development goals. And we have seen a number of new ideas coming out from managers that is very much explicitly focused on uh, gender equality. And so investments made into companies where um, there is much more progress on um, on gender uh, at the CEO and board levels. And, and the, the rationale for this is one, gender uh, data has been much easier to collect um, and having a, a good diversity from a gender perspective at the board levels means that there is a, a, some degree of openness in terms of talking about other, um, other areas of diversity, not just at the board levels, but also throughout understanding the policies um, within a business and, and within the workforce. Um, so that's been that's been a key area of focus. Um, and then also just thinking about, you know, how do we look at uh, diversity across asset management, which we've done some studies on, um, you know, looking at uh, uh, key decision makers and uh, the percentage of females there. Um, and this is an area of continued work for us. So as you as you as you both know, I'm a, I'm a fund manager myself, or a strategist, occasionally an economist. So uh, so I quite enjoy looking at numbers. What sort of data is there around uh, whether more diverse teams outperform less diverse teams? So there's been a lot of um, analysis done, meta studies done that has actually shown if you're trying to solve a complex problem, which is an important part of the element, um, sorry, important part of the analysis. And investment problems are complex in terms of how you're trying to come to a view on something. Then a, view, a team that brings those different perspectives, however those different perspectives are generated, should be able to solve that problem in a better way and create better outcomes. So there's been various studies which have talked about improved earnings per share, you know, earnings per share coming from those more diverse groups. And if we look at a number of our strategies, we can see that trend um, starting to come through. We've actually downgraded some strategies because we believe the lack of 
diversity within the investment team does create a potential headwind for them coming up with those good ideas. That's fascinating, that that, that last bit, because 10 years ago, uh, it probably would have been a less significant issue than it is than it is now. Yes, absolutely. And it is important to really understand that where that diversity comes from. So, for example, it could be that you go and meet four male um, portfolio managers together and actually they've all got very different backgrounds. They've got different experiences. They're actually quite diverse. Similarly, you can actually have four um, what appears to be very diverse people in terms of their gender or ethnicity. But actually, if they've all been to the same business school, they've all had the same type of experience, the same type of upbringing, they actually may not have much diversity. So it's really important that you have that deep dive and that deep understanding into what, what drives those different views. If, if you have everyone thinking the same way, nobody's going to challenge the status quo. So, for example, if um, in in our process, idea generation, can an asset manager bring together lots of different ideas? If there's only one way of thinking or only one person, you know, bringing that view to the to the process, then they might just think in one way and actually not challenge, well, should I be thinking about some of these um, internet stocks? Is the valuation really too rich if you think about the potential growth prospects? So just looking at something from a different way will, we believe, lead to those better outcomes. I think if you just look at, you know, the three of us here today, uh, I'm Canadian by birth. Uh, I have an Indian background. I've experienced racism in my younger days um, and I come from a low income neighborhood. Um, and so, you know, it's not been the case for me, especially as I've progressed in my career. But, you know, the impact that that this could have in terms of your outlook, you know, your 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 experiences in the past, as well as your outlook um, brings that more diverse um, thinking in terms of, you know, how you bring ideas forward uh, within teams. And of course, it's different for yourself, Rupert, and, and for Deb as well. I think it's interesting, Deb, you touched on technology is that understanding, um, you know, drivers, particularly, you know, age related yes. stuff. Absolutely. You know, I, I speak to my children about which technologies they like uh, and which they don't. And they've got quite strong, strong, strong views on it. Mm. Um, Absolutely. And, and actually, there at Mercer, we did have, um, or we, we continue to have reverse mentoring. And that's great because you can actually have somebody who's very different age than you, perhaps talking to you about the technology and thinking about some of the new ideas coming through. Deb, are people honest with you? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely, (laughs) when they mentor me, definitely. (laughs) Okay. And then another question for you, Deb. Um, uh, You follow, obviously, fund management firms very closely. Um, They made uh, plenty of progress over the last little while. Is there anything you'd like to, to highlight? No, I mean, I, I believe there has been progress, um, particularly now that there's actually an intent by senior management to make progress. It's talked about and importantly, it's measured, but there's still a long way to go. So Sarika talked, referred to a, a, a document that we produced, a, a paper, and key decision makers across the um, industry, the, the strategies we were looking at was, was about 12%. So there is still a lot to do. And I would also say it has to be a real genuine effort not just bringing a woman to a meeting for representation. I mean, we'll see through that pretty quickly. And unfortunately, that does still happen. So we need to make continued real progress to make sure we have that broader diversity within the teams. Areas such as flexibility um, and also a recognition of what gender differences can bring to the party, let's say, for example, around risk, then I think that's really moving us forward, but slowly. So we need to move faster. 
And I think if I can just add, I mean, this is where, you know, looking at and and, uh, understanding uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, equity inclusion as part of the business management meetings um, also means looking at, you know, the corporate policies that they have in place. And this is where, you know, managers have very much made good progress over, you know, the last several years now. But while it does start at the top of any firm and while the policies and procedures are very much important, uh, they do just represent a starting point. It's, you know, it this is not just a box ticking exercise. It is very much about looking through those policies, but then having conversations with management teams in place to understand how those policies are applied and lived out on a daily basis, which then ultimately becomes, um, you know, a, a key part of an organization's ethos. Now, um, if, if that's not in place, if that inclusion is not there, and if you can't see that one from business, from management team, but then also, you know, from our perspective as researchers, you know, meeting investment teams, you know, fairly regularly and having these conversations. So we're getting both sides of the picture, you know, what management is saying, as well as what individuals are saying. Um, and it helps us very much to then understand, you know, this is not just a, a policy that's been put out for the public. It is being practiced, uh, you know, on a daily basis. And I know, Sarika, you're involved in our own uh, DNI, DEI activities, specifically the, the Vine Network. Um, what what do you do for for, for the Vine? Yeah, I am. So I've been co-chairing the Vine Network for several years years now. Um, and the objective of this group is very much to support the business in driving gender equality at all levels. And really what this means is bringing awareness to topics or issues that might not be widely discussed um, and maybe potential hindrances to, you know, to individuals progressing. Now, remember when I first um, became co-chair, I, uh, I, I went on mat leave a few months after that um, and then came back and, and rejoined. And at that time, I was absolutely sure, one, I want to spend more more time with my son. And so I went part time. I was working four days a week, uh, but I was also very much intent on on making a good you know, career progression at that time. And so I was highly motivated. This is something that I wanted my son to see, you know, uh, a good degree of balance between work and um, and home care. How did you manage that? I hear from a number of people four days a week um, sometimes feels like five days a week. And yeah. actually with a young child feels like seven days a week. Well, with a young child, it depends on what job you're talking about. You know, that's never ending. Uh, but absolutely, it's you have to be determined. You know, do you do you want that? Uh, you know, what kind of work life do you want? And it was absolutely a challenge. But um, um it, you know, in retrospect, I wouldn't have done it any differently. Um, but it was, you know, important and things like, and, you know, Deb mentioned earlier, flexible working is, is a non-issue today, but a few years ago, very much an issue. And so bringing these types of topics to the table, you know, understanding what the individuals are, are experiencing um, on a daily basis and actually Putting that feedback to management is absolutely uh, important, but also understanding and, and highlighting, you know, the policies that man, that management have put in place. Um, you know, individuals must be able to use those policies, you know, um, as and when required. Now, we've recently, as, as a very brief example, you know, we've recently highlight updated our policies around uh, harassment, um, and you know, what we're aiming to do is discuss this through an internal panel, essentially highlighting the policies that do exist calling out on unspoken social norms that exist in the workplace and, and really just giving individuals that platform to, you know, to highlight here are some of the, the examples, you know, which one might not think anything of, but actually can become an issue, especially if it hinders your, your career progression. 
Thank you. And then, Deb, I know you're obviously involved uh, uh, inside Mercer, but you're also involved in some uh, industry-wide initiatives. Perhaps you could uh, share that with us. Absolutely. Um, I was excited to be a founding member of the Investment Consultant Sustainability Working Group. And that's really a collaboration across um, all of the consultants in the UK to bring a collective voice on, on really investment matters, whether it be climate change or DE&I, which really all of the asset owners are facing. So we want to see better practices across a number of areas. And, and rather than reinventing the wheel, we're actually working with the Diversity Project, City Hive, LGBT Great, all really to look at how we can collect better data, more consistent data, hold people to account and thereby develop good role models within the industry and better outcomes for our clients. Uh, Rupert, you've been involved internally as well, a number of initiatives around uh, diversity. Um, maybe you can give some examples, uh, you know, in terms of what you've done both internally and externally. Yes, thanks. So I joined our LGBT group in 2014 uh, as an ally, uh, and it really opened my eyes um, because uh, in my world, I don't see a lot of racism. I don't see a lot of sexism or, or homophobia. Um, but of course, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, and when I was on this group speaking to lots of my colleagues about all the issues, I was surprised and in some cases horrified. I remember particularly one meeting asking a colleague what he'd done at the weekend. He said he'd been out for a meal with his husband. Uh, they'd been having a nice time. And then a group of thugs chased them around the block with the intention of, of beating them up. And I thought, this, this, this happens now? Uh, I didn't know it. And, and the, the, the people on the, on the group all thought I was rather naive, and perhaps I was. But because I didn't see it in my, my own life, um, I didn't realize it was there. And it was only through that experience uh, that I understood the importance um, of what various LGBT groups, but also uh, DNI groups generally are trying are trying to achieve. Uh, I've also, for the last 25 years, also had uh, mental health issues of my own, um, controlled by medication, and I'm fairly stable at the moment, uh, but I am on antidepressants, and I never told anyone about it, um, certainly not in the workplace. Uh, and then I decided to start talking about it a year and a half ago, in large part because I felt confident that my, I was going to say my colleagues at Mercer, I really cared more about uh, what the management at Mercer thought. Uh, and I felt confident that it wouldn't uh, uh, harm my career. And as I sent the email around to everyone, I got a lot of emails back from people at all levels, uh, not only expressing their support, but also sharing that their they themselves have some issues or their children or their partners or their best friend or whoever it might be. Um, and so I think the more that we can talk about it, uh, the more we can normalize it. And ultimately, that also helps uh, improve the, the, the health of those who, who are vulnerable to mental health challenges. I couldn't agree with you more, Rupert. I think um, just to highlight, uh, you know, it's it's absolutely essential to be able to talk about some of these. Um, I, I've just seen a few emails flying around as well, um, where you know we we're we're seeing um, uh, networks around infertility, you know, being created. Others around menopause. I mean, there are awareness weeks coming up, and so being able to talk about some of these is absolutely essential to having that, um, you know, uh, mental well-being and, and being able to discuss this in an open way uh, and highlighting that it's not it's not a taboo subject. And I remember, I remember someone said, um, "It doesn't matter if you're left-handed or right-handed if you're right-handed." 
Um, now, Deb, I think I'll, I'll finish with, with, with you, if that's all right. Uh, and you've been uh, in and around the investment industry for quite some time. Um, as you reflect on that, is there anything you would like to bring out in particular? Uh, but also, uh, if you had one wish over the next five or 10 years, what would that be? Yes, Rupert. So, yes, I've been in this industry for nearly four decades. Um, so I've seen lots of changes, clients, um, things come in and out of favour, been different fads, but things such as DE&I are really embedded in all that we do. And, and you know, it's it's important that we've actually made some progress, um, but it is a journey. It's a long journey. And it does start in areas such as education to ensure that we have the right people coming into our industry um, who look like the end beneficiaries of our industry, you know, the teacher or the fireman's pension that we're managing, and that actually they can come into our industry and there's lots of great opportunities for people in our industry. So there's still more to do. I would hope that in 10 years' time, we're not having this conversation, certainly around gender. It may take longer in terms of ethnicity to get uh, teams and firms that look like our populations. But in terms of gender, I would really hope we could accelerate the change and hopefully COVID will have done a little bit of that, such that it's actually just part of the norm. Nobody has to ask the question, should we bring a female to a meeting? You know, do we have the right, do we have the right balance? We've just got the right people and it creates a good representation. So that's my hope. If it's 10 years, maybe 20 years, but we will get there. So today we've talked a lot about DE&I, and I hope it's piqued your interest in perhaps the difference you can make. So it is important, as we've talked about, that DE&I starts with the policies and the leadership and the senior endorsement that this makes a difference. But it's actually also important of what each of us can do as an individual as well. So if you'd like to find out more, please engage your local Mercer consultant and they can help share with you the resources we have and what other people have been doing to help move us along this journey. Deb and Sarika, thank you for joining me today, and thanks to our listeners for joining us. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave a review. If you'd like to discuss this topic or any others, please contact us at ctci at mercer.com. That's ctci at mercer.com. Many thanks. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal, tax, or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Please refer to Mercer's full legal disclaimer in the episode description.